Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to the late-breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome to the late-breaking F1 podcast, reviewing the United States Grand Prix, won by Max Verstappen ahead of Lewis Hamilton, extending his championship lead to 12 points from the six that he came into the weekend with. My name's Ben Hocking, Sam Sage and Harry Eid reviewing the Grand Prix today. Well, it's, it's late night, late breaking as we've just coined it before we started recording. It is ten past ten here in the UK. We're not expecting much sympathy based on our uh, luckiness as Europeans for most of the calendar, but we are still committed to getting the review podcast out as soon as possible. Sam, are you going to be even crazier than usual? Yeah, I mean, don't cry for me, Argentina, but we'll push on through for the rest of the hour or so. Um, It is late night, and if you're in the Discord, you'll know there's a late night with Sam conversation topic there, and it's always wild. So, yes, when I'm a little bit tired and I've had a few sugary teas to keep me going, things like to get cranked up to uh, to 11. So, expect the partay to get started, as Miley Cyrus once said. I'm interested to know how many people from Argentina were indeed crying before Sam said that. Answers on a postcard, please. Um, But until we get the answer to that question, we will discuss some more Formula One related topics. Of course, related to the Grand Prix that happened today or just happened as we're recording it right now. As I mentioned in the intro, Max Verstappen taking the win over Lewis Hamilton. It was a strategic battle, two stop races all round. But Max Verstappen getting the undercut on both occasions, ultimately managed to win out, even with a late onslaught by Lewis Hamilton. The surge at the end, not quite enough for the Mercedes man. So the championship now, 12 points in it with just five races to go. Looking at this Grand Prix specifically, Sam, do you think that there was scope for Mercedes to avoid the loss here? 
Yeah, 100%. Lewis Hamilton, at the start of the racing, everything he needed to do, he was aggressive. The launch off the line was absolutely fantastic. And he takes P1. He's commanding the race at that point. We know that Lewis Hamilton has the ability to lead. You know that Lewis Hamilton is, you know, he's the seven-time world champion. He can make those strategic calls. He understands how a race unfolds. So it feels like, once again, Mercedes have been so reactive to a situation that Red Bull have just capitalised easily. Checo being there, thereabouts, I mean, he wasn't really present for the top two fight, but he was still just that little bit of a nuisance, you know. Checo, the disruptor, Perez, as we like to call him, was just enough to disrupt the flow of Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes strategists. So I think it it caused a bit of you know, uncomfortable nature when it comes to making a, a strategy call. I don't think they knew when to bring him in. I don't think they wanted to call an undercut to get stuck behind Perez. Yes, they got a faster car in the straights, but first and third sector played into the Red Bull hands very much so with the, uh, the slow cornering speeds. Hamilton went on that charge, and I think there was only so much Hamilton could do. You know, the tyres, Max did a great job conserving his tyres at the end of the race. I think Mercedes strategist just didn't call this one right, but I do think that uh, Red Bull had the better car for the race. I think Max Verstappen showed that one nicely, and... Um, you know, he came out on top. Brilliant race. Incredibly close. Verstappen, a worthy winner. Hamilton, a great fight. Less than a second between them at the end. It was a really, really fun race to watch, both strategically, on track, throughout the whole grid. Um, but yeah, I think I think this could be one of the final nails in the coffin for the championship here at USA, which is such a, a home hunting ground for Mercedes. Harry, do you think that Mercedes could have avoided the loss here? Do you think Hamilton could have won this race if they strategically played it slightly different? Um, I, I think it's just such a tricky one. I think if against anyone else, Hamilton overtakes, wins that race, easy peasy. Um, I think they had the right strategy. I think Red Bull did call it too early. Um, you know, we saw Perez's pace, particularly towards the end of the race, he really dropped off and was struggling. Towards the end, I know he didn't have any water, bless him, but um, Leclerc was closing in fairly rapidly on the, the dried-up prune that was Sergio Perez. Um, but, yeah, I, I, so I think Mercedes did have the right strategy here. They made the right the right call for Hamilton. I just think Verstappen managed to hold on to his tyres that much better. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there's much more Mercedes could have done, but... Uh, <laughs> Sam's now laughing on on camera here, folks, about, about a tweet that we've done. Sorry, that is very unprofessional and distracting. But anyway, Big Shack in the house for reference. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything anything more than Mercedes could have done here. Um, a couple more laps. <laughs> I've seen it now. We've gone. We're gone. Oh, oh God. dear. Folks, if you wonder what we're laughing at, go and check out our Twitter, at Breaking. Harry, you must have done it now, Ben's just seen it. Um, and the way that Big Shaq was on the podium, a big up to Big Shaq, you know, it's good to see him out here. It looks like he's won the race, and it's just the way he stood there, it just, it's cracked me up. It sent me, so I'm giving it the old way through. It's not professional, it's not what oh. you've come here for, or is it? I don't know. Either way, I'm having a proper giggle over it. <laughs> late night with late breaking is is off to a good start. Um, yeah. No, anyway, the conclusion to my point: I, I think Mercedes did make the right call here. I just think Verstappen managed to manage his tyres uh, well enough to hold off that Hamilton Hamilton fight towards the end. And like I said, I think a couple more laps, and maybe Hamilton has him. But it's 
it's the way that Verstappen managed those tyres that managed to keep Hamilton behind uh, in the end. Yeah, I think um, I actually I'm with you, Harry, on this. I don't think Mercedes did too much wrong here, uh, and actually I would place more of the emphasis on what a great job Max Verstappen did versus um, what Mercedes strategists did or didn't do. Um, I mean, in the first instance, Lewis Hamilton off the line. You're right; he did everything that he needed to do. I still have to question the fact that the inside line is 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 the you know second place gets the inside line into that first corner it still doesn't quite make sense to me uh and based on the fact that second place has been leading on the first lap i think maybe four of the last five or four of the last six races at the u.s grand prix it should testify to that you know as long as as long as you can get a marginally better start you as long as you're on the inside as lewis hamilton proved you've, you've kind of got the corner and and at least for british commentary they raised the point that if it weren't for Sergio Perez being the driver in third place, it likely would have been even worse for Max Verstappen and he probably would have dropped behind whoever was behind him. As it turned out, Sergio Perez was more than happy to concede the position and let Max Verstappen go on his way. Given how close Max Verstappen was able to stay within um, within the Mercedes pace, you know, it was pretty much one second all the way throughout that first stint, albeit a relatively short stint. I think it proved to me that Red Bull probably had the car to go out and win that race today, and it was going to be on Mercedes to reverse that, um, even though it was Lewis Hamilton in the lead. I always felt with basically two attempts of the strategist to get it right, that Red Bull would get it right at least one of those two times, and Verstappen would be able to claim the win as a result of that. So I think the emphasis was still on Mercedes, even though Hamilton was in the lead. Um, but you've got to give the Red Bull strategists... You've, you've got to give them credit here. This is almost the complete opposite to how Spain went. Uh, it was a very similar race to Barcelona all those months ago. Very similar to Paul Ricard as well, uh, the French Grand Prix. It was a real strategic one where you could tell, even a few laps into the race where they're separated by one second, you could tell that by the end of this Grand Prix, they're probably going to be separated by a very similar gap, regardless of what happens in between. And ultimately... Uh, Red Bull, they managed to establish a couple of things. First of all, track position is is key at Cota because they knew that as long as Max Verstappen was good enough in that first sector, which he was, then it wouldn't matter that, Mac, that Lewis Hamilton had the advantage in that middle sector. We saw it towards the end of the race where Lewis Hamilton was getting closer, sort of one second or so behind, and then Max Verstappen would just <laughs> extend that gap in that first sector due to the dirty air, and he, he wouldn't get DRS as a result of that. So I think they were able to establish how important track position was. They were also able to establish that the medium tyre, even though it was better than the soft tyre, was a long way off how good the hard tyre was. So they got rid of that very quickly in that first stint, and I think they were they paid dividends for, from that. But for me, the key here, as already referenced, the key was Sergio Perez, the disruptor. We mentioned this on the preview <laughs> podcast. Sergio Perez needed to be the disruptor. And that's exactly what he did. He lost a lot of his pace in the second and third stint. I'm sure we'll get onto that. But the most important thing was for him to be in touching distance within that first stint. It meant Hamilton could not go much longer than Max Verstappen. It screwed up the strategy from that side of things. And ultimately, that might well have decided the race. Just Sergio Perez being there. So I think I think Red Bull have done a good job from a whole team perspective. We'll get onto the Verstappen performance in a second. Um, but I, I don't actually lay too much blame at the feet of, of Mercedes here. 
Um, Sam, where you... Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, the point where I would lay... I don't know really if you can lay blame at them at this point, so I guess maybe if you have to do it, you have to do it. It's the engine change for Bottas. Um, yeah. Bottas, yeah, is that's the problem for me here. Bottas, we were singing his praises, you know, more than we've done so in a long time. Even I was, you know, on the, on the Bottas hype train. And... Bottas just could not go... It feels like that Mercedes is just so bad at following any car, regardless of what it is, as, as you've already mentioned, Ben. But Scaffold was able to sit less than a second behind Hamilton for the whole of that first stink, which is almost unheard of at the front in the last kind of generation of F1 cars. Usually the dirty air is too potent that if you can't make a pass nice and quick, you start to drop back and the tyres overheat. Bottas couldn't get past anyone today. He was stuck behind Sonoda. He was then stuck behind Norris. He was then stuck behind Sainz. He was then stuck behind possibly Ricardo going forward. Bottas cannot make any inroads. They changed that penalty before the race. No advantage was given. I think Mercedes have absolutely blown it here, thinking they've got a much bigger advantage than they actually had. And I think that's what's cost them. The fact that Bottas is not there to be the disruptor, as Michael Biffer might call him, then um, it means that they've, they've fallen short and they are losing out big time on that top three attack. So... I think that's where Mercedes have cost themselves this race weekend. I don't think Bottas, unless it comes out that Bottas essentially needed a new ICE, he's sixth of the championship. I uh, I don't know why he needs to take that penalty right now. The Iceman, as he's been donned this weekend, and uh, and rightfully so for all of those extra component parts that he seems to have taken this second half of the season. Um yeah, I mean, that was where my question was going to be directed because it seems as if that was actually the thing that cost Mercedes more than anything was that five-place grid penalty that Bottas had to endure as a result of that change. Um, perhaps they were thinking that Istanbul could happen again. You know, they saw Lewis Hamilton make up the places in, in, in Istanbul. Maybe they just figured that the likes of Mercedes, uh, sorry, the likes of McLaren and Ferrari won't pose too much of a threat here and Bottas can just soar back to the front and it just... It didn't end up that way whatsoever. And part of me thinks that it actually it is quite track dependent. I think it is slightly car dependent as well. You're right in that the Mercedes has never really been brilliant in those sorts of spots. But I think a lot of this as well is, is to do with the track. Because really, even though the, there were a, a good number of overtakes that happened, but the majority of them were, were tyre specific, like either two stoppers making moves on one stoppers or one stoppers making move on no stoppers um, or in some instances where the tyre difference was, was a lot in terms of tyre life, there weren't actually many overtakes that took place where it was a fair even fight, should we call it? Um, so, yeah, I, an oversight from Mercedes, I agree with you on that. In terms of the strategic battle, Harry, you say you, you don't think Mercedes did too much wrong. Where did Red Bull win this then? Do you think it was at the first stop? Do you think it was at the second stop? Do you think it was a combination of both? Um, I, I don't know because I, I, like I said earlier, I think that their, their stops were slightly too early. The first one I think was fine, but that second one, I know Verstappen's pace was dropping off and he's being caught, but I think it was too early to call it. And um, Christian Horner was playing a bit of poker face on the pit wall when Sky went to him. Uh, by, and he didn't reveal that their tyres are pretty knackered. Um, see, I don't know whether their strategy was the thing that won it. Um, they obviously thought track position was important, and in the end, that did pay off. And we saw with Bottas and Hamilton, they couldn't they couldn't get past. Uh, you know, I know Hamilton didn't quite get in real DRS range, but you know, it, track position in the end it, on a track where you can still overtake relatively easily, as we saw. 
or, or there's at least a chance, um, track position is still key. So, um, yeah, I guess in that sense, the strategy was the better one, but I still don't think it was optimal, to use an F1 phrase. Um, yeah, but like I said earlier, I think it's it was Verstappen's tyre saving in that uh, third stint, to be honest, that, that got it for him. When, when Hamilton started to close in, when you have seconds per lap or a second a lap or whatever, I, you know, I was convinced it was it was game over from there. But I think that was actually the time when Verstappen was trying to save his save his tyres for those last few laps, and it obviously paid off. Um, so yeah, so I think that's probably where Red Bull wanted to be honest. And and yeah, like I said, don't discount the disruptor Sergio Perez because um, he was just kind of in the way for at least for the first half of the race. So. All in all, pretty good team performance, but like I said, I think it was the Verstappen factor. If anyone else had been in that car, uh, I think Hamilton would have won that one. Even with Red Bull taking the win, Sam, do you think that they went too early on that second stop? Make no mistake, it was not the strategy that won this race. It was the brilliant performance from Max Verstappen. Harry's already said exactly how I feel. You put, I think, anyone else on the entire grid in that Red Bull and take Verstappen out... I think Hamilton catches and passes. Um, Verstappen managed his tyres. You know, we've always praised Hamilton and Perez for the way that they can manage their tyres, the way they manage their rubber, the way they've got so much to give at the end of the race. You know, we saw um, Ocon's tyres after the one stop at Turkey. They were absolutely shredded. And Hamilton's were fine. There was only about uh, 10, 12 laps in it. Hamilton was literally driving what looked like new slicks by the time that he got his off. Um, You know, and we've often seen Perez as well manage to bring tyres through that shouldn't happen. But... Verstappen, not famed for perfect tyre wear, never bad at it, but not famous for it. And today, his management of speed, of traffic, of ensuring he had the right gap at the right time, that is what got them this wing. The strategy was fine. It was suboptimal. It was early. I do think they could have afforded maybe another two or three laps before that second stop. Uh, and Verstappen would have been able to hold on as well. They had the better car, and Max was definitely on top form today and I think that is what won them this race it was not how good the strategy was it was how good Max Verstappen was um, I, I know the instinct of, of nearly everyone was that Red Bull went early on that second stop I actually think they made it spot on I, I think they were right to pull him in when they did now what you could have got was a situation let's say hypothetically Lewis Hamilton does get past Max Verstappen towards the end of this race and we're having a very different discussion here and we are definitely questioning did they bring him in too early did he ask did they ask too much of him on that last stint i think if if that had happened red bull could live with those consequences what i don't think they could have lived with is if they had gone too late on that second stop lewis hamilton had got the undercut and lewis hamilton had won the race as a result of that if they were caught napping that's inexcusable for me they saw what happened in spain they saw it happen in Spain to the point where you can't you can't labour the point. You can't wait for these things to fall into your lap. You have to go out there and make it happen. Yes, they asked a lot of Verstappen, but he's a world-class driver. That's why they pay him the big bucks. He delivers when they need him to. So I think they were right to make that call when they did. Again, the undercut was powerful here. Lewis Hamilton had closed up to him within a couple of seconds... What you're then asking is if Lewis Hamilton makes that move first, if Mercedes like pull the trigger, they ask him to go into the pits, you are then asking probably Max Verstappen to pit the next lap and you are putting the pressure not on Max Verstappen, you're putting the pressure on your pit crew, essentially saying if your pit stop is longer than three seconds long, 
this is going to be close and he might well lose out. And if he loses out, then essentially they're in the same position that they were in the first stint where Hamilton's just ahead of Verstappen, but they're on same tyres, you know, one lap difference. That That is inexcusable. They could not have got into that position. They took the battle to Mercedes. They said that we're not going to get caught out by the undercut, even if it's too early, because Max Verstappen, we know how good he was. And to focus on Max Verstappen for a second... It was an exceptional drive, what he did out there. And dare I say it, it was the drive of a champion. Regardless of whether he actually goes on to win this season or not, that was a champion's drive, what he was able to do out there today. You're right, the management, what he was able to do, you felt, you know, Lewis Hamilton was, was clawing away at the advantage and suddenly you're questioning, has he left enough? Is there enough in those tyres that he is going to be able to hold him off? And the answer was yes. He had managed it so perfectly that he knew that Hamilton didn't have a chance. As soon as he got inside that two seconds, really, the advantage evaporated. He was excellent. And that was one of his best drives ever for Max Verstappen out there. He was sensational. And with that, driver of the days, how about it? Sam, who have you got? Um, many contenders. You know, it was an epic race up and down the field. You know, we saw... The likes of Fernando Alonso deciding to not leave any of the space. Uh, and we saw Sebastian Vettel claw his way from the back row of the grid into the points again, which is just really, really fantastic. Um, so for me, the only the three that are in contention, actually the four that are in contention, Verstappen, Hamilton, Leclerc and Vettel, I'm going to give it to Charles Leclerc. He absolutely dominated. I made my bold prediction, we'll talk about this in a minute, that Science was going to beat Leclerc by 30 seconds. And Leclerc must have heard this. Good friend of the podcast, Michelle Leclerc. He must have listened to me and said, you know what? I'm going to take you up on that one, Sam. I'm going to ruin your bold prediction. And he did. He was phenomenal. He got out the traffic. He was consistent. The pace was so much better than the other three behind him. Uh, another fourth place for him. So for me, Charles Leclerc really showed what he's made of. God Leclerc came through uh, here at Cota. I thought it was brilliant. Driver of the day from you, Harry. Um, yeah, Sam's kind of mentioned the contenders for me. Uh, shout out for Vettel for his uh, back of the grid to the points, although that was gifted by Spinny Kimmy. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> Spinny uh, Rikinen. Yeah. Spinny Rikinen. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, Kimmy. no. How's that only just become a thing? Anyway. Um, but for me, uh, I, 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 if you hadn't said Leclerc, I would have said Leclerc, but uh, because did, I'll say Verstappen. But Leclerc and Verstappen were my two uh, two contenders for driver of the rate, uh, driver of the day. Um, but yeah, like I've already mentioned about Verstappen, I think he was the one who won that race today. So um, yeah, I'll go for Verstappen. But Leclerc was being he's been God Leclerc all weekend, to be honest. Um, P4 on the grid, and then he wasn't far off that podium spot in the end when you know that Ferrari doesn't deserve to be there. So, um, but yeah, first happened for me. I I am loving the the regularity of, of God Leclerc in qualifying, where there's not really much to choose between him and Signs. In a lot of cases, Signs is beating him in Q1 and Q2, and then with three minutes to go in Q3, Charles Leclerc's like, ah, oh, all right, I'll turn up, and then he goes and. <laughs> Puts in a great lap and ends up P4 on the grid. I'll turn um, up now. Yeah, yeah it, it seems to happen a lot more these days. Um, the Only two contenders for me. Um, for me, there were two drivers that were miles above everyone else out there today. Uh, and they are the two that you've already mentioned and given the award to. Uh, Leclerc and Verstappen. Uh, I'm going to give it to Max Verstappen. I really do think that was an incredible drive. A really mature 
uh, a, a mature drive that I don't think he would have been able to deliver a couple of years ago. Um, so, uh, and you know, we can't really look at one result as being championship defining. Um, but if we do get to the end of this season and Max Verstappen does end up winning the title, we can look at this one and say, yeah, this was this was a stake in the ground for sure. Can I also um, just give Hang on a shout out because I forgot. I forgot poor little Yuki, who actually got ninth place and picked up two points, and I thought was a right little little legend on the track today. Holding up the top guys was tough to get past. He made some good moves, kept it clean. This is what we've said for Yuki. You need that consistent consistent race. I feel like this was the best one he's had for a while, so just want to shout out to Yuki. And he was only three years away from eighth place, so... That's that. I don't care. I don't care. He got points. Uh, I... I'm not quite as complimentary about his race as, uh, as you are, but um, fair enough. Worst driver of the day, who have you got, Harry? Um, I did I did consider consider Bottis here, but actually I don't don't particularly blame him. I don't think he should have been put back with that penalty anyway, so I'm not going to give it to Bottis. But um, it seems an obvious one, but I'm going to give it to Mazepin because he was a minute and 20 behind Mick, which is, that's his teammate. You, you know, we've said it before, there were um, for those two. They, they just got to beat each other, but it's not even close. Um, so yeah, I mean, at one point Alonso retired from the race, and it took about a lap and a half before Mazepin overtook him. So <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm do you reckon he celebrated it? He was over the race. Yes, come on. He was like super Smashed happy. Up. Yeah, great move, Nikita. Great move. <laughs> um, yeah. So sorry, Nikita, but not sorry. Sam, are you going for? Uh, I also was considering Bottis. Uh, I'm not going to give it to Bottis because I do feel like uh, there's something in that Mercedes car that does make it, I don't know, so difficult to cut through at certain tracks. And he was all right. He was he was not great, but he was, uh, he was all right. Um, also, Norris, I actually feel like deserves a mention here. For all that we've seen from Lando Norris, he, was, he finished about 10, 15 seconds behind his teammate, Daniel Ricciardo. He lost out big time at the start and never made up the pace. Carlos Sainz managed to beat him, even though I think Sainz had a lot of more of a hectic racing, a worse strategy. So I think Norris deserves a shout. But I'm, I'm, I know it's lack of variety. I'm going to agree. Nikita Mazeping, get off the racetrack. I don't care how much money you got. I don't care who your dad is and how much money you can funnel in. You are pants. Get out the sport. Go have some practice because you are rubbish. <laughs> well... I had two contenders for driver of the day. Take one and you've got how many contenders you've got for worst driver of the day. Uh, And unfortunately, there is a very distinct lack of variety on this podcast because it is, again, (laughs) Nikita Mazepin. Um, You shouldn't finish. Just Ben's top tips. Don't finish a minute and a half behind your teammate. Um, You can have that one. Have that one on the house, Maz. No worries. Um, On it. I don't know what to say at this point. In in a season where there have been a lot of low moments, this might have been his worst race weekend, which doesn't bode well considering it's towards the end of his first season. I mean, apart from Bahrain, which, as we know, famously went very, very badly, that might be the only one that is in consideration. But at least with Bahrain, you can say it's his first race. Fine. Here, you don't have that excuse anymore. So He didn't even spin. 
the the one bright I I don't want to call it a bright spark, but he did only end up like a few tenths behind Schumacher in qualifying, which is closer than he's got on a few occasions. But all the way through practice and the race itself was was pretty dismal. So I'm going to give it to him. The F, FP3 didn't actually do a meaningful time. He kept no. road, kept getting deleted. So I got a it looked like that was going to happen in qualifying. I got a message from a friend that said, "Is Schumacher going to lap Mazepin?" And I'm like, oh my god, that, it almost could. They're only about four corners away from each other, the wrong way round the bloody racetrack. <laughs> yeah, I reckon it must be about only about 18 seconds. I think would have been would have been a lap or, or so. They were doing about 145s, 144s. So, yeah, dangerously close to happening. Oh dear. Moment of the race. There, there was a lot going on this weekend at Austin, which is probably a good time to mention, you know, Austin, the, the race weekend itself, 400,000 in terms of attendance. It seemed like the hype was firmly in Texas this weekend, but a, a moment of the race for you, Harry. Um, a lot of contenders here. lot of contenders. Kimmy Spinney, Spinney Raikkonen could be one of them. Uh, <laughs> no, I, that's not a moment. I was just gutted because he was on such a belting race at that, up to that point. But um, no, I'm going to go for the one that I called out f- at first in in our little private group chat as my moment of the race, which was uh, Fernando, don't need to leave any space, Alonso. Um, him, his move on Giovinazzi, just love it. Just love the blatant. He's he's just baiting the stewards. Doesn't doesn't care anymore. Doesn't him and the stewards don't get along. I mean Al- Alpine and the stewards. They definitely don't get along. Um, but yeah, Alonso absolutely sending it from uh, somewhere near Washington to Giovinazzi was a side to behold. Didn't make the corner, still held on to the overtake. And then and then Giovinazzi holding on to the position at the same corner and then having to give it back, just as Alonso had to give it back to him. It's just com- c- comedy. Complete comedy. So um... I think my favourite bit of that was the fact that Alonso so blatantly celebrates over the radio <laughs> after making. He, he's a yes. wise guy. He's a two-time world champ. Everyone do the dance. You know the man knows what the track is and where to make a legal overtake. Yes, get in there. It's like you've just passed him while you're in another continent, Fernando, for crying out loud. Brilliant. Al- Alonso doesn't, gold. doesn't live. Alonso doesn't live to uh, race anymore. He lives to just point out the flaws in the track limit system. And that's all he turns up for nowadays. 90% of the greatness of this race revolved around the Alfa Romeo drivers and Fernando Alonso. (laughs) Honestly. Oh, God. I could just watch them all day. They were fantastic. I'm I'm glad you brought up Kimi Raikkonen spinning as well, because... We discussed this just before we uh, we went live. How Kimi Räikkönen? This is about the fifth time he's done this this season, the last where he's lap. had a he, he's had a terrible qualifying. He's then actually had a really good race where he's been able to get ahead of his teammate. He's done a really good job, and then a few laps to go, and he bins it. And everyone's like, "Oh, well, yeah, Kimi's not very good anymore." Is it? It's like, no, he is still pretty good. He just if if only races were like eighty percent rather than a hundred percent, it'd be fine. <laughs> Maybe he's trying to like justify his retirement. He's like, well, I don't want people thinking I'm too good to stay. Oh, so rubbish! Just, I've done well there. again. Yeah. He can't be bothered <laughs> with questions of, do you want to actually stay, Kimmy? He doesn't. He doesn't want to handle that. Can't I think that's fair. Well, you've already mentioned quite a few contenders. 
Which one's getting it for you, Sam? Uh, t- I mean, that Fernando moment, also with the Alpine uh, FIA Michael Massey chat, like some angry ex-girlfriend or something. It, it, is that okay, Michael? No, no, it's not okay. Right, so ours isn't okay, is it, Michael? Uh, that was up there by far. But for me, the moment of this is what I was giggling at earlier. Like a, a child is Big Shaq standing between... Max and, and Lewis on the podium. It's out of place. He's taller than Lewis off the bloody podium, which is hilarious. He looks like he's won. He looks like he's superimposed onto the podium. It is comedy gold. Comedy gold. I love it. I don't know why he rode in on this giant, weird, long-horn bone car either. Is it the only car he can fit in? I don't know. He's clearly very tall. Um... That for me, Big Shaq as a as a just as a person is my moment of the race. It was fantastic. He, he stood there like someone's dad. His his, his, <laughs> his, little, his pose. Yeah. Well done, son. Proud of you. Honestly, se- seven foot two, big diesel Shaquille O'Neal coming in on the on the on the Longhorn car is the most. American thing I think I've ever seen in my life. If it wasn't for my moment of the weekend slash race, which was for no reason a fire breathing octopus in the middle of a circle. <laughs> Why was that? Burn <laughs> the fuels. I uh, admit I wasn't concentrating at that point. I was looking at my phone and I just looked up at that point and there was just fire on the screen. And I was like, oh my God. And then I was like, oh wait, it's just an octopus. It's it's Austin, Texas. It's understandable. Um, big shack, that, that, a big track, dig a big clap. There were, you're right, though. There were so many contenders here for the moment of the race. Before we move on, uh, a quick review of our quite excellent bold predictions from the weekend. Um, oh well, let's let's start off with Sam. Um, so good news in terms. Of, so Sam's bold prediction was that Carlos Sainz would beat Charles Leclerc by thirty seconds or more. Good news is it was more than 30 seconds. Bad news is it was the amount that Charles Leclerc beat Carlos Sainz by, not the other way round. Um, Got that wrong. So wrong on that one. Harry's bold prediction was that Fernando Alonso would finish on the podium. Really close one there. Could have gone either way. Um, (laughs) And my bold prediction was that Bottas would let Hamilton win on the final lap of the race. The problem is for that bold prediction to become true... Bottas would have had to been leading, which he definitely wasn't. So, a very bad weekend all round for bold predictions. Um, but there were a few in the Discord that did better than us. So, well done to you. Yeah, I think that someone in the Discord literally decided to do the opposite of my bold prediction to smite me. That tells you the uh, type of reputation I now have with the predictions in there on the Discord. Folks, if you want to put your bold prediction in for the next race... Discord link is in the description. Head on over. Over 200 people in there now. And it's crazy. Everyone's having a great time. In fairness, going directly against us and delivering the opposite bowl prediction. I've, I've heard of worse tactics. Put it that way. I've, I've, there are plenty of worse ways to go about it. Really should. Let's move on to Sergio Perez because he finished on the podium for the second race in a row and only the third time this year. So it does seem as if he's picking up a bit of form. Time-wise, a long way uh, away from the top two by the end of proceedings, but he was close enough to play a part in the tactical battle in the first round of pit stops. 
So looking at what he's been able to do the last couple of races, Sam, do you think that Red Bull are somewhat vindicated? Do you think they should be encouraged by the decision that they've made to stick by him in 2022? Um, I don't think you should ever base anything on just one or two races, but he is 100% showing the right signs. I think there was a chat between... Um, I think I can't believe I'm saying this between I think Paul De Resta and Brundle or something like that, and they were talking about the fact that they'd spoken to Perez um, during the week, and Perez had said that he was no longer trying to go down the same route of car setup as Max Verstappen, and he was just trying to be a bit more independent with how he learned the car, and he was becoming more comfortable with things. And all of a sudden, it seems like he's come to life a little bit, and I think a few Verstappen fans, just for a moment, especially on the Saturday suddenly saw Perez being 0.017 away from Max Verstappen and thought, hang on a minute, Perez is qualifying and he's doing it well? This doesn't happen. Vamanos Perez. Yeah, the man was, he really stepped it up today. I mean, he still wasn't there with the top two. And it's very funny how quickly Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton can make everyone else look average. It's hilarious. But, as we've already said, um, Perez, you know, the, the disruptor, absolutely did what he needed to do today. He made it hard for Mercedes. And that's exactly what Red Bull need from a number two driver. They don't need Perez to win a race. They don't need Perez to lead the championship. They need Perez to make Mercedes' life bloody difficult and to pick up the extra points so they can take the league in the constructors and so on and so forth. Perez has had two really, really strong races. If he can finish off the season the same way that he's starting it in Turkey and carrying it through, he has fully justified that seat for 2022. He's on the right track. I am loving where he's going with it. Keep it up, please, Perez. I don't want to see a slump next time around. Harry, what did you make of Perez's second consecutive podium? Do you think Red Bull can be um, relieved or at least slightly relieved by the decision they've made? Uh, definitely slightly relieved. Um, he's, like we said, the disruptor. He's doing the job that they need him to do, finally. Um, I know it's been a bit of a struggle for him this year. You know, bar the win in Baku, it's been not the greatest season for him but you know I've I've heard that he's starting to go a different way on setup to Verstappen and that's evidently helping him especially his last two races and yeah that form he was showing quality yesterday I thought at one point he was going to be on pole um, and maybe had that little sprinkling of rain not happened towards the end of quality maybe he would have been but um, yeah I think he did what they needed him to do during the race especially in that first stint he wasn't there towards the end admittedly whether that was to do with the lack of water on quite a hot day in Texas, you know, remains to be seen. But um, certainly within the first half of the race, he was there being in the pit, well, well within the pit window of, of Hamilton, you know, five seconds behind or whatever, um, which was giving Mercedes a bit of a headache. So as long as he continues that form, I mean, let's be real, he's probably just teeing us up for a win in Mexico and then Mexico City will implode if he wins. Uh, that'll be cool to see. But... Um, yeah, if he keeps this going, this sort of form where he's at least being annoying at the start of the race before Hamilton and Verstappen do what Hamilton and Verstappen do and just pull away from everyone else, then that's exactly what Red Bull need. To be honest, it's it's what is I was thinking this, if they had someone like Bottas who sometimes wins and beats Hamilton or beats Verstappen in this case, that's not what Red Bull need. They need this sort of Sergio Perez type person who is really on the pace but not too much on the pace and can be there to be annoying but then drops off towards the end that's like a dream scenario I think for them so um, yeah as long as he can keep that up then it's exactly what Red Bull want and they'll be vindicated by keeping him on for another year 
just to clarify your position on something, you will be happy if Mexico City implodes. <laughs> I didn't mean, mean literally. I meant with with joy and celebrations as Sergio Perez wins at his home race. Obviously, I like Mexico City. Not that I've ever been. Again, but I'm going like to make this plea. Can I make this plea to our listeners? There's thousands of you. If any of you are millionaires and you would like to help us out and fly yes, us to no. Mexico City for that race, yeah, please yeah. get in touch. You know, How? How, when we literally every podcast episode we insult a new nation in some <laughs> way we are running out of nations for someone to want to help us i didn't insult mexico city then i just said it would be great Obviously. if it's imploded um uh, are there any no, millionaires no, from um singapore that would like to get in touch don't think we've insulted but, you yet by questioning if there are any millionaires in a nation, you have therefore insulted the nation. So and then who listen to this, not just generally the population. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, dear. You can tell so, yeah. tired, folks. Oh, it's, it's very evident, isn't it? Um, in, in terms of Sergio Perez, because we were talking about him at some point in time, um, you know, two, two straight podiums... Whereas there's only been one for the rest of the year, that's got to be a good sign, right? And and you're and you're correct in what you say that yeah, he doesn't need to be winning races as long as he can do what he did today and disrupt, being the disruptor, that is enough. And I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I mean, there was more encouragement from this weekend than there was discouragement by by a long way. You could say, well, he ended up 45 seconds. I don't know how much it was in the end. He ended up a long way behind the top two by the end of proceedings. Leclerc was eating into the gap that he had uh, towards the end of the race. You know, you could look at those and say, that's that's a bit worrying. But uh, I'll look at the first stint. So the first stint, they were on even keel. Everyone was on the medium tyres that had been going for a couple of laps. His pace was good. It was good enough. Uh, the second stint, he had to go back onto another set of medium tyres that were used mediums. I, I know he'd only done one lap of them, but the medium tyre, as, as was shown throughout, was not a good tyre versus the hard tyre. So I'm not surprised to see him drop back in that second stint. And in the third stint, given the heat in Texas, given that he didn't have any water, I'm willing to give him a pass on that. That, that that's is at least a leading contributing factor to why he wasn't on the pace in the third stint. And, and ultimately, look, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton are far better than Sergio Perez. They're far better than 99% of drivers that have come into the sport. That's all right. Red Bull are aware of that. It's not a shock that, oh, we we signed Sergio Perez and we thought he'd be as good, if not better, than Max Verstappen. They had they were under no illusions what Sergio Perez was when they signed him. And, you know, that that's absolutely fine. He's He's there to do a job. He's showing far more signs of doing that job in the last couple of races. And now suddenly, it looks as if Constructors Championship-wise, he might be able to help them out a bit. Maybe they could take home both championships. It's on the table, at least, thanks to his recent run. Now, in all seriousness, we have we have mentioned the Raikkonen, Alonso, Giovinazzi situation already uh, and suitably laughed our heads off at it. But there is a serious point in there somewhere. 
Uh, and that is that Kimi Raikkonen and Fernando Alonso went side by side through turn one. Kimi Raikkonen, forced out wide, was able to get the overtake done on Fernando Alonso. He wasn't then asked to give the position back. So, our question is, should there be a look into the rules as to what is and isn't allowed when you are off the track, or rather forcibly put off the track when side by side? Sam, do you think that Raikkonen should have given this position back? Uh, and what's your view on those situations more generally? So, um, I'm going to talk about the situations more generally first, and then I'm going to use that logic to look at the incident that we saw. Um, so, when two drivers are coming together, of course, wheel-to-wheel on the track, um, and one driver goes off the track, you at least look at the reason as to why the driver is off the track. Let's take Alonso versus Giovinazzi first. Alonso, when going down into the uh, the hairpin on the back straight, he completely missed his braking point, didn't he? He had overspeed, he carried it all the way through, he shot straight across the track. Giovinazzi did a very good job to be aware of it and not get in the way. And Fernando Alonso technically used that overspeed from off the circuit to come back on the track in an advantageous manner and um, clearly celebrate and overtake on Giovinazzi. Now, that event when Alonso went off the track and made an overtake stick using that momentum was entirely of his own doing. No one was put him under pressure, no one forced him off the track. He did that himself. He used the off-track running that we have here, and if there was gravel folks who wouldn't have that issue, uh, to gain a momentum advantage, right? The difference, I believe, here with the Riking situation is that at this point, Fernando Alonso is doing the defending. Kimi Riking was attacking at the moment. Alonso went down the inside, Kimi Riking around the outside. Fernando Alonso, for the man who is famed for saying all of the time you must leave in the space, decided that that was no longer uh, a proverb that he would follow in life. And he continue to just keep driving the car to the edge of the track. Now, in my opinion, it's not Kimi Raikkonen's fault that he had to go off the track there. What was Kimi Raikkonen meant to do? Stop the car, literally stop the car and wait for Alonso to complete the corner before he was able to carry on. I don't think that's fair on Kimi. Kimi tried to go around the outside. He was more than far enough alongside. Alonso was fully aware that he was there, as we saw, because he kept opening up the steering wheel. Oddball footage showed that. I feel like Kimi has every right to stay there and keep on the fight. So I believe that stewards need to look at these off-track incidents, such as we look at actual penalised crashes or pit lane incidents, right? There needs to be a case-by-case basis. And there needs to be a penalty or rule structure that allows for this to be consistent. If you go off the track because you've been forced off the track and you carry on fighting wheel-to-wheel, then it should be the aggressor that's forced you off the track that pays some kind of penalty, warning, whatever it is you might want to do, whatever you see fair. But if it is someone who is, um, like Alonso the second time, deciding to go straight off the hairpin and round and then seize the, uh, seize, seize the position of Giovinazzi, then again, Alonso is the person who's taking advantage of this through no fault of his own. So Kimi should not have paid fault in the, in the first instant. Alonso, in both times here, should be the one that is looked into either with a warning or with a penalty. And I believe you should be given a very strict time principle to hand a position back as well. It's not kind of a, or oh, let's have a debate, or let's have a conversation over the radio, whether it's a good idea, or let's text Michael Massey and be really grumpy about it. It should be, message from the stewards, you have until X place on track to give this back, or you will receive a five-second penalty or a drive-through penalty or something like that. That's how I think this needs to be handled, a case-by-case moment. Fernando Alonso managed to do both sides of the coin wrong today, which is very unusual, Fernando Alonso, but he was definitely in the wrong, in my opinion. And I do think this needs to be handled on a case-by-case basis. I do not think it is a one-rule suits all, oca- all occasions. Kim Reichen, in my opinion, 
was not in the wrong. He deserved to fight alongside. Harry, we saw we saw Alpine or heard Alpine over over Team Radio to Michael Massey on this one. Is is overtaking allowed off track? No. So why was Raikkonen allowed to do it? They questioned the rules there and then. Do you think that the rules are, are, are right and do you think they should be changed? Um, well, the problem is, is is the ambiguity between the different situations. And I think the only way you're going to stop that is just being complete, you know, uh, uh, one, one rule, which is you can't overtake off the racetrack. And the problem is it's because it's coated and there's just runoff everywhere that isn't grass or gravel. Um, and I and I totally appreciate Sam's point that he ha- Raikkonen has every right to be there, um, but you know I, I'm f- in as long as it's not blatant. I think if you are the driver defending and you've got the inside, the inside line, the the high ground, so to speak, you have every right to kind of walk the driver out to the edge of the track. I was watching Touring Car today, which is kind of where this has come from, and it happens on about every corner. Um, but but you know it's kind of f- fair game because if you're the driver defending on the inside and in front, and someone's trying to come around the outside, why do you have to why do you have to give them space enough to get get through? So um, yeah, so I, I think yeah, it's the ambiguity between these different situations where they're trying to judge it case by case, which is what is causing the problems. Um, I just think if you're did you ever take off the track? Yes, we have to give it back. Doesn't I think you do it like that one blanket rule, and get on with it, or you just put grass and gravel back, and then that problem will never exist ever again, unless someone brings a rally car, which is probably not going to happen, unless it's Kimmy maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I, that, that's that's kind of my take on it because yeah, it, I mean, and I, I get what Alonso was doing, and like I said, he's just trying to bait the stewards for a, a reaction, but. Um, it's just, it's just too inconsistent. Well, we saw it in Bahrain, you know, Verstappen versus Hamilton. They didn't ask Verstappen to get out of the way, but he overtook off the track, and Red Bull realised it was going to be under investigation, so he had to give it back. And he was off the track because Hamilton squeezed him off the track, so that's why he was there. So, um, yeah, I think that should be the case all over. If you're off the track, you can't overtake. I'm actually going to take one element of both of your arguments here to give you my view. So I I actually agree with Sam like 95% of the way there. The only thing I disagreed with, with what you said, Sam, was that there isn't a way to judge this uh, on a non-case-by-case basis. I believe that there is a blanket rule, as suggested by Harry, uh, that can be applied. The only thing is, I think there is a blanket rule that it can be applied, but it's going to go directly against what Harry just said. Um, I think, <laughs> my, my view oh. is if, using this situation, my view is if you are forced off track when you're side by side and you make the overtake off track, fine. Absolutely fine. Because you've been forced out there. If you don't want him to overtake off track, don't force him out there. Simple as that. And you'd soon find that people would actually stick within the confines of the track, knowing that they're going to be punished if they force these drivers wide because they then have the liberty to go and overtake off track. Now, you're right in what you say with the gravel and the grass, and that's probably the best solution overall. 100% agree with that. But if that was grass and gravel, let's take Red Bull Ring as an example. 
Alonso has just put Raikkonen in the, in the gravel and Alonso's been given a five second or ten second time penalty for it. So if it if there isn't any grass or gravel there, should the actual result be that Alonso can just run him as wide as he wants and then if, if he forces him off track, then hey, he's kept the position because there's nothing he can do at that point. As, as soon as you run him off track, you know he's in a position where he can only file back in behind you. So every driver is going to surely do that at every single opportunity because why wouldn't you? That's the easiest way to keep your position. I think that if you're side by side, if you are judged to be side by side through a corner, regardless of inside, outside, if you are forced off track, fine. Go ahead and make the go ahead and make the overtake. Because the only reason you're out there in the first instance is because the driver that you're fighting against has decided to put you out there. And Again, I, I think that this would actually ultimately resolve itself very quickly because defending drivers on the inside would soon learn that they can't do that anymore and you'd actually get more side-by-side -side racing through corners as a result of this rather than the inside driver just chopping off the other driver and forcing him off track. That I, I, I appreciate that's a long way from what the rule set is at the moment, but that's that's my view on it. I. I, I have no sympathy for Na for Fernando Alonso in that scenario. None. I think well, the, the biggest key rule on this is that you know we're always told you leave a car's width. That needs to be applied to every single scenario. Kimi Räikkönen was firing off alongside. You leave a car's width. If he drives around the outside of you, then Kimi's absolutely done, your son. And I think um, I don't think Fernando likes it. As much as we are massive Fernando fans, I think he was outdriven a little bit on the wheel-to-wheel -wheel by both the Alfa Romeo drivers at one point. Maybe he needs to go back to uh, racing hash drivers at Turkey. He'll be fine. <laughs> Punt. Oh, it's not. It's not. Not been a great couple of weeks for Fernando, has it? He. He. Um. He's had a good season overall, but not a great last couple of races. Yeah, we were really singing his praises recently as well. Maybe we should stop doing that. Damn. Always happens, doesn't it? As soon as we start to give credit to a driver. But... Be, be careful. That's why Bottas didn't do very well this race. We were giving him oh, credit Stappen after. Is rude for uh, Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Mazepin's going to win in Mexico if we use our strategy. Um... <laughs> Moving on to last topic of the day, which is looking at the McLaren versus Ferrari scrap. We're another chapter in that one, and it's still incredibly close between the two teams as we head into the last five races of the year. Uh, but one of the highlights of today's race was how well Daniel Ricciardo did. Beat his teammate and in terms of pace looked pretty good. So, Harry, if you're looking at McLaren versus Ferrari, Ricciardo's always been the big question mark of the four drivers in terms of form this year. Given what we've seen today, is this actually quite uplifting for McLaren going into those judgment races? Uh, yeah, I mean, there was a... Um... I don't know if this is me, but watching Sky of the weekend, there was kind of chatter about how Ricardo is still really struggling against Norris, and I, I, I don't know. I thought it was slightly unfair. Um, you know, he won in Monza, f fair and square in that one. Sochi, he had. I know Nor Norris was leading, but he, he, he still in the end beat him and finished P four. And I think he was actually having a solid race. Last race wasn't great, but then again, this weekend he's been he's been on form again. So I think it is beginning to come towards him again he did win a race i feel like people keep forgetting it i know it's a bit of an anomaly but he did win a race um so yeah i i think it is encouraging i think ricardo's starting to come into the you know the zone that we expect him to operate in here um and yeah today was another another example of it um you know leclerc was in a class of his own in that in that battle but 
yeah, I think Ricardo looked like he had the advantage on Norris all weekend, which is, you know, arguably the first, maybe second time that we can say that's happened this year. And Monza being the other time. So, um, yeah, McLaren have got to be encouraged. Fair play to them. I'm not suggesting they were going to sack him or anything, but, you know, for keeping the faith, I think we've we've all recognised that Ricardo maybe takes a bit longer to adapt to a team, but once you get him, or adapt to a car, but once he gets in that zone, he's he's pretty damn good. So fair play to for, for Maka for sticking with it and sticking with him because a lot of other teams, <coughs> Rebel, um, might have got rid of him. So, um, yeah, I think it's encouraging, definitely for the rest of the season, but also going into 2022. I, th- I think the situation between the two teams is that they absolutely need Ricardo to be on a similar form to what he had today. Otherwise, McLaren will will not win this battle against Ferrari, even though they actually hold a slender lead at the moment. I think Ferrari have come into too much form coming into these last few races that they, they need their two drivers. And to be honest, even if Ricardo is on form, that might still not be enough, but you've, you've at least got to give it that chance. Um, and Sainz and Leclerc, we had this discussion coming into this season who has the strongest lineup on the grid and I can't quite remember I, Sam might well have given it to Leclerc and Sainz from memory but but it, they were definitely a part of the conversation um, and that has proven to be they are both brilliant drivers you're right Sainz was slightly screwed by his strategy today but in terms of pace Leclerc was fantastic Sainz has been great all year and if you haven't got two strong McLaren drivers given how good that Ferrari car's been recently, it's going to be a real struggle for them. It's going to be a struggle for them one way or the one, either way, but it's going to be a massive struggle if they've only got Norris up there. So there have been a few more encouraging signs recently. In my view, it's not all going to come together until 2022. I think the car is, just in terms of his driving style, that, that is definitely playing a role in this. So I don't think there's going to be any way he could completely erase everything this season and, and be on pace. But it, as long as he can do enough, like he did today, that that should at least give him a fighting chance against Ferrari. What are your views on it, Sam? Uh, I know obviously they're incredibly close in the constructors, but the points are really starting to come together from, between each driver. And considering that we've almost... Not written off Ricardo because you can't write Ricardo off. He, you know, he's absolutely incredible behind the wheel of a Formula One car. But he had a very slow start in comparison to his teammate. There's only about 43, 44 points between them now. Obviously, Ricardo's picked up that wing. I think Norris has got the most podiums of anyone outside of those top two teams on four. I think it is. Um, and the gap is closing between Ricardo and the Ferraris as well. I think there's only about 20 points between Ricardo and the Ferraris. So. Ricardo is buoyed. The form since the summer break is massively improving. I think the biggest issue for McLaren is not Ricardo, it's not Norris, it's Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. I know that sounds like a really obvious and silly thing to say, but those two are phenomenal this season. I think that Ferrari has been tough in certain elements. I think Leclerc is doing a brilliant job. I don't think anyone expected Carlos Sainz to be this good only three quarters of a way through his first season with the new team. The fact is, what, six points behind Charles Leclerc, who previously beat Sebastian Vettel, I don't think anyone expected Carlos Sainz to be that competitive that quickly. I think he has got more pogums than any of the other ones apart from Norris. I think he's just behind Norris and Perez now. So, Sainz is on it. I don't think it's Ricardo that's the problem. It's Sainz that's that, that there is their problem. I think McLaren would have had this sewn up, actually, if Sainz hadn't adapted so quickly. So, 
I just can't see McLaren holding on to this at the moment. I think Ferrari have got the momentum. They've got the form. Sainz is so comfortable in that car now. The pace that he's delivering race after race. Even if it's not always going his way, he's still pulling out really, really strong performances. He beat Norris today, of course. Um, I am really, really impressed with both those Ferrari drivers. And Ben, you're right. I did say at the start of the season that I believe they have the most competitive lineup on the grid. And I think they're displaying it. So... Yeah, Norris has had a couple of tough ones over the last three or four races. Ricardo is improving, obviously got that win, which is fantastic. It's just whether they can now put it all together. It seems like it's always one driver or the other, whereas with Ferrari, they're so close together on points because it's always both of them being consistently good. Never incredible, never perfect, but always very good. And I think that that is going to be enough to carry Ferrari over the line of, uh, against McLaren, not Ricardo now finally improving at the end of the season, unfortunately. I've got to say... And I agree with what you're saying, Sam. But Ferrari still shows signs that they can balls this up with that five, seven, six oh, second pit stop they did. Ferrari for can always yeah. find a way to mess things. Don't you worry. <laughs> Don't you worry. They'll find a way. They always do. Oh, they're reliable if nothing else. All, all of this. I don't want to jump the gun here, but all of this talk about the end of the season and where teams will start to finish. We've got a really good idea now of of championship positions. It's making me excited for uh, for all of our review podcasts of our predictions oh. coming into the oh, season. No. Uh, oh, that could oh, get no. that could get very tasty indeed. Very tasty. I don't think indeed. I'll ever have been this wrong on the predictions. I think I'm what the two. I think I'm the two time champ at the moment. I think I'm going to be last. I think you are the defending teammate wars champion two times in a row. Um, after you, of course, stole my crown after I won the first Sorry, two man. years, Harry. Love you, man. Um, <laughs> the, the Checo Perez of late-breaking predictions. I mean, I've, I've actually got... Uh, a sp- this is very me. I've got a spreadsheet with all our predictions on it, so I'm, I'm ready to go for when we, we do get to that. Um, Stop it! Who knows? Who knows? Maybe, maybe this is Harry's year. Um, who knows? <laughs> I think that that's going to do it for our review podcast. The one thing that I need to mention that hasn't been mentioned to this point, but is definitely important. Nicholas Latifi. We need to give him credit because he is the man who has done something that no one else has ever done before. He has found a way for Lance Stroll to have bad starts to races. (laughs) Crash into him. He's, He's cracked it. Lance Stroll, you see... He seems to make up six places every single race, but not not if you're the wrong way around, uh, as Latifi managed to find out today. Um, I was in a half sandwich. A lot of sandwiches going around recently, aren't there? A lot of sandwiches. Yummy. Sandwich. Yummy sandwiches. I do like a sandwich, to be fair. Oh, it, it, it's ten past eleven, folks, here in the UK. I, I think we are at our end now. Um, but we will be back... <laughs> We will be back slightly fresher midweek for uh, for another podcast. Um, you've got a lot to look forward to, Sam. At some point, we're going to get a segment in there for you where you are going to have to forcibly read out positive things about Valtteri Bottas after he proved you wrong and took a race win. I can't wait for that. Yeah, I think we might open that up to the Discord as well and let them maybe submit a few statements as well just to really chuck on the pain. I think it's what I deserve after such a ridiculous, clearly ridiculous prediction. How can I make such an audacious prediction? Um, but shall we, uh, shall we, shall I, shall I get us out of this one, Ben? Go ahead. 
Folks, we will have a midweek podcast, of course. There's no race. There's no race next weekend because it is Halloween time. This is Halloween. Scary for us all. All of us Formula 1 fans who don't get a race, of course, next weekend. We shall all cry in the darkness um, and the scary world. But we will be back midweek. We'll be talking all things Formula 1. There's been a lot of debate, a lot of interest. Please join us. Please hit the follow button if you are new to the podcast. If you haven't, join the Discord. The link's in the description. Um, let us know what you thought of the race. And go and check out the Big Shack tweet that is over on our Twitter, at Elbreaking, that saw us giving like small children because we are just that silly and that tired. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, in the meantime, I'm just to say, I've been Ben Hogan. And I've been Harry Eads. And remember, keep breaking late. Big Shack wins! Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.